Hello, and welcome to The Food Podcast, a show where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Earlier this winter, I was asked to teach a class at King's College where I studied journalism. The instructor is Pauline Dakin, a longtime CBC radio journalist, writer, and host of CBC's Run, Hide, Repeat, a riveting, mind-bending, five-part podcast series chronicling Pauline's life growing up in Canada and a life spent on the run. I rarely make my Christmas cookies all at once from start to finish, but I had that podcast in my ears and I just didn't want to turn it off. Pauline's class is all about podcasting. She asked me to come in and talk to the class about how I turn an idea into a story. It's strange when you're asked to teach something that you didn't realize you knew how to do in the first place. But I do take random ideas and turn them into stories all the time. I did it when I was 23, working as a nanny in Montreal, when the local paper asked for food memory submissions. And I told the story of my mother's brown bread and what it felt like to eat it after school, still warm from the oven, with snowy mittens steaming on the radiator. The story was chosen by the editor, and when the photographer came to photograph me with my mother's bread, which I had learned to make by then, he was shocked that I wasn't a grandmother. Hadn't I written all about warm bread and mittens steaming on the radiator? That's when I learned that food memories can be timeless. And if they're timeless, anyone can connect with them. So I kept going, using life around me as a prompt. Like a few months ago, when I bought a lapis blue jacket that led to a story about that winter I spent in Montreal, a city where the women are chic and wear jackets the color of sweet blueberry sauce, even when it's minus 10 Celsius outside. Or the story I just wrote about the ski trip I went on and the cabin we stayed in that had a pine kitchen with an old telephone on the wall. When I picked up the receiver, I felt like Bill, or maybe Ted, because it transported me to my childhood, to our neighbor Joanne's pine cottage kitchen and Joanne's chocolate chip muffins with the crispy brown tops. Or a podcast I listened to with Margaret Atwood, who mentioned the importance of focus for writers. She says focus is more important than routine. Try to focus, she said, despite what's going on around you. So the word focus is on my mind. And today, after this, I'll write a newsletter about trying to focus while kids are all around me eating those really good chocolate chip muffins. Ideas are everywhere, and if you're curious and you're willing to pull the thread, step across the stones in the river. Okay, if this sounds too metaphorical, press pause and tune in to Finding the Light, my podcast episode with Julie Van Rosenthal, where I talk a lot about stepping across stones in the river to find your way. It was Julie's blackout poetry, all about cake, that was the first rock in that river for me. And before I knew it, I was focusing and turning her words into a podcast episode all about finding light in the darkness. You are human and you need cake.
So for this episode, I thought I'd share a little from what I talked about in that class. I hope this little twist on the normal programming here at the Food Podcast isn't boring. So here we go. On the afternoon of the class, snow was coming down hard outside. Schools were closing and roads were clogging. So the class was moved online, which meant that right away I struggled with sharing a slideshow over Zoom without revealing my speaker notes. It was a mess. But a good story doesn't need technology. All it really needs is honesty. That's what I told myself, and that's how I kick things off. I told them that the food podcast began with the intention of interviewing people who worked in the food world. I started with a food photographer building a career in her new city of Paris. This was seven years ago. I was excited. I was nervous. I asked my mom what she thought. And she said, well, I didn't really listen to the end. She thought it was too niche. She didn't have an interest in photography or taking pictures of food. So it didn't apply to her. And my mom switched it off. My mom does love a good story. So I knew that if I could find a way to share good stories, universal stories that resonate with many people and tell stories that aren't boring, I could keep her listening, regardless of how niche it was. So slowly, I mean slowly, I figured out how to weave a narrative into the episodes and tease stories from the guests and find my own stories in their stories. My mom is an artist. When I was four, I sat down with a box of crayons and drew a tree. It must have been a pretty strange-looking tree, because when I showed the drawing to my mom, she bent down and whispered in my ear, Go over to the window and look out and draw what you see. I can't remember exactly which window I was sitting in or what time of year it was, but I know we were living in Mississippi at the time. So outside the window, there were probably tall white oaks or longleaf pines or a yellow poplar. And I drew what I saw, a four-year-old version, but it was close to my truth. And my mom loved it. Learning to take feedback is critical when putting things out into the world. It isn't a sign of failure. It's a sign of learning. Gloria Steinem said that in the We Can Do Hard Things podcast. Find people you trust and ask for their feedback. Understanding what connects us universally is another tool in the storytelling toolbox that I shared that day. Before the class, students were asked to listen to a past episode of the food podcast, the one with food writer Fanny Singer. Fanny Singer's biggest claim to fame is that she is Alice Waters' daughter. If you don't know who Alice Waters is, well, she is a farm-to-table restaurant pioneer in Berkeley, California, and she's friends with Michelle Obama. Fanny had just written a memoir when I interviewed her. It's called Always Home, and we spoke over Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic from our respective mothers' houses. We were both always home. Everyone was. Fanny has a PhD in art history from Cambridge. She grew up in a Californian restaurant and holidayed at her godmother's vineyard in France. I knew if people were going to connect with her, I'd have to pull out the universal details of her life, the common themes. 
So Fanny and I talked about chicken soup. Her mom made chicken soup everywhere she went, even in Fanny's tiny student kitchen in New York without any ventilation. And Fanny always smelled like chicken stock. She hated that. When she visited Fanny, wherever she was living, she'd arrive on the doorstep with a chicken already in her purse. Like the time that I, and I do mention it in the book, but when my mom made a chicken stock, consistent making a chicken stock in our like really shitty quasi-tenant. So I told the story of my youngest sister, Jessie, who lived at home during university. It's a downer to live at home with your parents when most of your friends are living on campus with their friends, cooking their own food, eating together, stressing out together, making plans together and partying together. And you're at home, yes, with a washer and a dryer and a fridge full of groceries. FOMO wasn't a word then, but that was the feeling. Can you tell that I lived at home too? Our mother was also a soup maker, and those chicken stalks bubbling away on the stove while Jessie sat at the table doing her kinesiology homework. Those stalks penetrated her clothes, her hair, probably even her rollerblades, and reminded her as she sat in class, smelling of soup, that she lived at home with her parents. Her friends eventually made her a t-shirt that read, Soup Ruined My Life. Fanny would understand this. I understand it. It's universal. I then told them about scene setting. When telling a story, where am I? If I'm at my parents' house, there are chickadees and the evergreens outside and sometimes otters are playing in the river. Is it windy? Is it still? Can you add some sounds? What does it smell like? Fanny's mother, Alice, burns sprigs of fresh rosemary to cleanse the air. Does it smell like rosemary? What does rosemary even smell like? I hope to create a feeling for the listener. Activating the senses helps. Of course, feelings vary and our moods dictate how we want to feel. Sometimes I want to be swept away by the BBC's Desert Island Discs or asked to think differently by Krista Tippett's podcast On Being or spend time in the San Quentin prison with the hosts of Ear Hustle. My husband listens to ESPN game reviews and Dungeons and Dragons podcasts. All these podcasts make us feel a certain way and we're also different. So if you're feeling a certain way, you're setting the scene, and now it's time to hold the hand of the listener. How do you feel when you're at a dinner party with people you don't know, and guests launch into a story about a trip to Barcelona that only a few of the guests have been on, and they laugh at their inside jokes? I think that feels lonely and alienating. This is why I jump in from time to time as a narrator. Not just to tell a story, but to hold the hand of the listener and explain those inside jokes. I hope it's kinder that way and more clear. There's an image in Fanny's book, Always Home, of her mother sitting at the kitchen table, peeling a large pile of apples, presumably for tartata. Alice is using a paring knife to peel the skin off the apples the way a person does when they have executed this task many, many times. Finding ideas becomes easier when you practice looking for them. 
Follow your curiosity. Practice wonderment. Channel Ted Lasso. For example, the idea for the last episode, all about sea turtles, began one cold winter night when I was curled up watching the Danish film Babette's Feast. Here's a clip from the episode. The film left me thinking about the massive sea turtle, a dinosaur really, that was flapping away in the wooden crate in Babette's kitchen, awaiting its fate. When did sea turtles become endangered, I wondered, and how does a rare marine reptile shift from being a cherished and lavish ingredient to becoming a protected, endangered species? These were my thoughts the next morning while waiting at a stop sign just off the number seven highway. It was a gray Saturday morning. My son Rex's basketball team had just played a game and lost only by a little. And we were driving back to the city. As I waited for a break in traffic, I read the license plate of the car in front of me. Sea turtles. And off I went on a journey about sea turtles that turned into a podcast episode. I took my time with that one. The interview happened over Christmas. Then we took some time off for the podcast to help prepare for this season. It was a slow process turning that idea into a story, like a sea turtle floating gently through the water, casually gulping down a jellyfish. I thought about this turtle pace of mine as I was listening back to the episode, which begins, as always, with Jen Grant's One More Night. Jen is a prolific songwriter and a painter. She always has something on the go, a single being released or an album or a painting at an art show. So I called to ask her how she turns ideas into songs so quickly. Making art is risk-taking, and when you take that little plunge, you can trust yourself more every time. So I have found that with songwriting and with, with painting as well. And yeah, I mean, so I've been writing a lot this year and I'm just, I heard that Dolly Parton has written 3000 songs or something. And so I thought, well, and there's like, I think there's a many, many that we haven't heard. We spoke at supper time. Jen was making a lentil vegetable soup for her little boys with some gluten-free toast on the side, with slow cooker eggs. Jen can multitask. I asked her if she remembers the idea and the story behind One More Night. Well, yeah, I do. Because that record, we made that, Dan, my husband, Dan Ledwell, my partner, Dan Ledwell, he produced that record. And at the time, we were living on Buddy Day Street in the north end of Halifax. And it was like a house that was 13 feet wide or something. And he was making records in the house. And that year, I was home a lot. I think it was 2009 or 10 something. And oh, 10. And uh, there's people in our house. And there was amps and cables and stuff everywhere. And it was just that time of life where we were just making it happen but I need space to write and I couldn't write in the house. And we booked ourselves a week in PEI. Um, we borrowed his mother's house and we were going to make a record there. And I didn't really have anything. 
we got there and I just wrote the album there. And every day the guys would go out and they would get groceries and supplies and they'd come back in a couple hours. And every single day I had two new songs, which is the way that I've noticed that I work anyway. I, if, if I'm interested in writing, it's usually, if I'm going for it, I'm like plunging in. It's one or two songs every day and that will go on for a couple of weeks. And then I have a batch. And usually I just do that and that's the record. But right now I'm doing it and I'm just doing it continually because Dolly Parton does. Wow. Focus, create, then send it out into the world. That's the message. Don't hang on to it for too long. Let it go. And find a person who you can trust, like my mom, who will tell you the truth. It was Jen and her friend Lori who made the t-shirt for my sister that red soup ruined my life. They loved all that soup. They loved my mom. They wanted to be in her kitchen with all its hominess and comfort and baked in soup smells. And that's how I met Jen through my little sister. I had just moved back from England to Halifax and I needed someone to look after my baby Luke while I tested recipes for the soup book that I was writing. I know, a soup book. So Jen sang songs to Luke and made daisy chains for his hair and sieved lamb shanks and ham bones and chicken carcasses from simmering pots for me, even though she was a vegetarian. And I'm sure we all smelled like soup and bones all the time. We should have made t-shirts. But doesn't all of that make for a good story? Thank you for listening to this episode. I know it's very different from the norm. But I'm not going to think about it too much. I'm just going to send it out into the world. Because if not, it might just roll around inside of me for months. And what's the good in that? I'll put links to all I've mentioned in the show notes, along with a few other tools I use for podcast storytelling. This series is edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme song, One More Night, is by the prolific Jen Grant. Please rate and review The Food Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And consider signing up for my newsletter. It's called Food Stories. The link is in the show notes. Or you can head to lindsaycameronwilson.substack.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. <laughs>